Amen. Amen. Well, before we get uh, too far into this morning, uh, there is a typo in the bulletin that I'm just now noticing. Uh, there are not uh, 36 verses in chapter 3 of Galatians. Uh, it should be 26. And so if you're going to follow along in your Bibles with us this morning, you should be looking at Galatians 3, 26 through 4, uh, verse 7. And that can be found on page 1014 in your pew Bible. But we're going to continue our series in Galatians uh, this morning. And as we've been working through this letter that Paul has written to the church in Galatia, we have been asking ourselves this question, how does the gospel teach us to live? You see, at the very foundation of this letter that Paul is writing, he is trying to express a way in which his readers and hearers can respond to the gospel that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so along the way, Paul has made it abundantly clear that the Galatians are supposed to live in accordance with what God has done for them, not through this work of the flesh that they are trying to accomplish on their own. It is the work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection on the cross that he took our sin upon himself and then gave to us his righteousness. It is that we did not deserve life, and yet he gave us life anyway. It's not about our own works, but his works. And so, in the midst of this letter that, that, that Paul has written, the Galatians are believing, however, that it is their work that must be done in order for them to obtain this righteousness. They receive the gospel in faith, knowing that faith is what got them there, and then somehow they think that the rest of the sanctification work was on their own, that it was their own flesh. And so Paul is constantly wrestling with them against that notion, against that idea that they can actually work for their own righteousness. And then last week, we finally wrestled with that big question. Well, then what purpose does the law serve for believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are we supposed to relate to the, to the law of God? What purpose does it serve? If the gospel is one of God's work, not mine, but the law is teaching us our work, then how do we stand against it? But Paul makes clear that the law stands as a guardian, is one that taught us and showed us that we were sinners. And that in that reality, there was no keeping of the law. We were actually incapable of fulfilling the law of God. It was impossible for any man to hold up to the standards that were written in the Old Testament. And therefore, since none of us could stand up to it, there had to be one that could. And so what we are seeing now is Paul goes further into the letter. He again reiterates this gospel that is to be true. But even more than that, he's encouraging us to see that not just in this relationship to the law, but it's about our relationship to God. How the more we see how the law plays a role in our life, we actually see what more a relationship to God plays. And so that's where we are today in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through chapter 4, verse 7. And so in that passage, Paul precisely addresses what our relationship to God is. And when we have right perspective of that relationship, 
It completely changes how we see and adhere to the law. So let's read these verses this morning. In Galatians, starting in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let us pray. Good and gracious Father, Lord, as we come to you this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would receive what it is that you have to speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that week in and week out, that you would make very little of me, but very much of yourself, knowing that you are to be worshipped and glorified. God, that no matter what word I could bring, it stands nothing in comparison to the word that you have already brought the good news of Jesus, your Son, for us died on a cross, was raised to life, paid our debts, and let us live free in the knowledge of who you are. And so we thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's this very, very strange phenomenon I want to talk to you about for just one second that I only started to realize as I get older and older and older. And, and honestly, it's weird because no matter how much that I want to escape this reality, this phenomenon that's happening in my life, I, I can't. I cannot escape it. And, and I'm hoping that when you hear what I have to say, that you also have not been able to escape this, this reality that is playing out in your own existence. And here it is, let me tell you really quickly, it is that the older I get, the more and more I become just like my parents. I have become just like my parents. I said it, and I hope that you hear it, and I hope that you also have that same realization that the older you get, the more and more you start to look like them, the more and more you act like them, the more and more your behaviors encompass who they are, and you're like, how did I get to this point? How did I get to the point that I look like my mother? Or how did I get to the point that I behave like my father? I have the same actions, the same tics, the same nuances, all the things that they did, I now do, and I swore I would never do them. Well, that's me. 
that's me. I swore I would never be like them. You see, growing up, I realized that, of course, everyone says, oh, you look like your mom. Oh, you take resemblance to your father. Well, yes, genetics, that makes sense. But seriously, all the other little things that they do, I wanted nothing to do with. I wanted to create my own self. I wanted to be my own person. I picked different sports than they liked. I, I did different activities than they had. My hobbies were different. Heck, I was the creative one. I was super artsy. Neither of my parents had that gene. So I was just like, I'm living into this reality that is my own. But the older I get, the more I start to realize, oh, I do that same thing too. How did it get to this point? And it might be small little things here and there, but like one of, the, one of the things that I've really noticed as of late, and somebody even brought it up just the other day, they had mentioned, you write in all capitals. Well, yes, yes, I do. I do write in all capital letters. And then I realized my dad writes in all capital letters. I always thought it was weird growing up because in school I was taught there are capital letters and then there are lowercase letters. And capital letters go at the beginning of the sentences and on proper pronouns and then everything else gets a lowercase letter. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened, I don't know how it happened, I don't know why it happened, but now I also write in all capital letters. And you see, this isn't just a me thing. I know this because I've seen plenty of television shows and I've seen lots of movies where there's these two siblings and they're kind of arguing with each other and then all of a sudden one of them says, you're turning into mom. And then they, the other one denies it for like a second and then they exactly do the mannerism that is just like their mother and then they're like, oh my goodness, I'm turning into mom. We've all had that realization, I am sure, at some point that we are starting to look more and more like our parents the older we get. We start to do a lot of the same things because it's what we saw. It's what we looked at. It's what we grew up with. Whether we like it or not, that which we gaze upon, we start to mimic. We start to become like. We start to see the same things that were in them. We also start to pick up. And so maybe you've started to see those same things in your life as you've gotten older, that you've started to pick up a lot of those same mannerisms and same behaviors, those same actions. Maybe it was even the way they talked, maybe certain phrases that they used, that you now use. Gosh, I can think of all these weird phrases that uh, my family used growing up, and all of a sudden I'll hear one down the road, it'll slip out of my mouth, and I'm like, well, where'd that come from? Oh, I remember whenever I would be picked up from a neighbor's house, that would be the exact phrase that one of my parents would use when they picked me up. And now I say it in moments when I'm picking somebody up. And I'm like, how in the world did that happen? But you see, I think our passage today relates also to that exact thing. That what we gaze upon, we become like. And you might be asking yourself, that has nothing to do with the passage we just read. But I think it does because it specifically describes what our relationship to God is. And in context, Paul is specifically speaking already about the law. So what is the relationship between the law, the gospel, and our relationship to the Father? And so let us open up this passage today, starting in verse 26. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. And I want to stop right there for just a second because I'm probably going to get some looks. Sons of God. Yes, ladies, you are a son of God. 
And you might be wondering, well, that doesn't make sense. I am a lady. I am a daughter of God. Well, yes, as children of God, yes, we are all children of God. There are sons and daughters. But sons is important. We have to sit on that word for a second. Because in the day when Paul was using the language, sons were the only ones that received the inheritance. Sons were the only ones that could be considered heirs to the family promises. Only sons received the blessing. And so when Paul says we are now all sons of God, he is making a very specific statement about who we all are now. But it's okay, ladies. You can be sons because we as men have to accept that we are also brides of Christ. So... Paul even makes this very clear a little bit later at the end of 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not male and female. We are all sons of God, which means every single one of us gets to be a recipient to the promises and riches that are in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us has the same right. And this is a radical shift in societal understanding. It is radical to say that a woman could receive and inherit the same things that a man could. But that is exactly what the kingdom of God is about. To believe that everything can shift, that paradigms shift, that all can be equal. Equality in and of itself is a gospel value. You cannot trace a single nation's desire for equality without tracing it all the way back to the gospel. Because it did not exist until it became reality in our scriptures. Equality was not a thing. And so here we start to see not just a paradigm shift for the kingdom of God, but we see it for actual nations in history. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God and to believe in Jesus, to know the gospel, is to know that the barrier to relationship with the Father is no more. There is no barrier for anyone to have relationship to God. It doesn't matter, matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status or even the sex you were born into, all are in Christ as sons of God. Now that's not to say that when he says there are neither male nor female, that God is saying that those are not important distinctions because they are. God created us male and female, and they have relevance to who we are, who God created us individually to be. But that being said, when it comes to our relationship to God, there is no distinction. And so that all who proclaim Jesus as Lord and who put their faith in them are to be considered sons of God. But also, another radical aspect of this phrase is that in Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think this is so radical because while we were sinners, while we were strangers, even while we were enemies with God, in Jesus, at the moment that we believe, we become sons. No longer are we considered sinners in his sight. No longer are we considered strangers. No longer are we considered enemies with God. We are sons. One of the analogies that kind of thought about this was, I don't know why, I love board games, but Monopoly. In Monopoly, there's this one rule that uh, if you have a go-to-jail card, it says, do not pass go, go directly to jail. And before our faith in Jesus Christ, that is exactly the kind of life we were living. There was no blessing of being able to pass go. We were in jail. We were enslaved to that. We were enslaved to the law. We were enslaved to our sin. But in Jesus, when we receive Christ, it is the complete reverse of that. Instead of the rule, do not pass go, go directly to jail, it is go to go. Pass go, and pass it again, and pass it again, and pass it again, and never go to jail. Never be enslaved again to the things that have enslaved you. You are now a son of God. There is now nothing that can separate you from all that it means to be a son. God loves you so much that neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons can separate you from the love of God. And so our go in this case is that in Christ Jesus, we receive his righteousness. It is all ours, and there is nothing that we can do to remove it from ourselves. The blessing of being a son of God is to have the image completely restored. Therefore, we are as Christ to the Father. We are sons. He has declared us to be, and we can do nothing to be anything less. Paul then continues that theme of sonship by then speaking about heirs, because to be a son means to be an heir. And so he returns in verse 1 through 3 in chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul could actually be referring to a number of things here, but I think there's one thing that is most important to us, that while we were children, that is, when we were under the law, enslaved to the law, not that, that time before we actually knew Jesus... We were spiritually separated from him. We were enslaved to the law. There was nothing that we could do in order to fulfill it ourselves. There had to be a time and a point when a maturity and awakening would have to occur, just as it is for a child who is an heir to a plot of land. They must grow into the place in order to receive that inheritance. We, too, can only be recipients once we have come into that spiritual awakening and authority. When we were once enslaved under the law, we now know that there must be something that breaks us free from it. For we are weak, and in our own human slavery to sin, we were never going to fulfill it. But then Paul gives us the good news. Again, the gospel news that is in verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son. Born of a woman and born under the law, meaning just like us. Jesus was fully human, just like us. To redeem those who were under the law. But in order to redeem, he also had to be not like us. Which means he also had to be fully God. So that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. You see, Jesus had to come at the right time, at the right place. When the world could stand it no longer, that being under the law was crushing the weight of who they were. And so God sent his son into the world to redeem the world. He fulfilled what we could not. He paid the debt we could not pay. And not only did he do those things, he also instead gave us what we did not deserve, which was adoptions as sons of God. Everything that is Christ's is now also ours. What incredible news that God would give everything that would belong to Jesus, should belong to Jesus, and only to Jesus. He now says, it's now also yours. It also now belongs to you. And guess what? It's not about anything that you did to get it. It's about everything he did for you, for it. We are now part of God's family. And then 6 and 7 reminds us again and again, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, the Holy Spirit is given to each and every one of us, and he resides within, within us, sent to us fully and completely as the seal of our salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word sealed in Greek actually has very specific meaning. It means it is the seal of authority. It is the wax seal and then imprinted with it the very image of the one saying this was authoritatively sent. When messages are sealed and sent, it is with the authority of a king. And here God sent his seal upon us. That way anyone who ever sees us, glances upon us, would know they have been sealed by the Most High God. We are sons of God. We belong to God. We belong to his family. We have been marked and sealed for it. And so that Holy Spirit, and I know that we don't like to talk about emotions in the Presbyterian church, but the Holy Spirit within us wants to call out. It says that the promised Holy Spirit calls out, Abba, Father, this isn't just some small, meaningful, meaningless phrase. It is meaningful. It is, God, you are my Father, and I am your Son. You are my precious and dear one, and I am your precious and dear one. It is a joy unlike any other. We belong to you. 
and your spirit within us cries out. I mean all of this to say. Simply this, going back to that story at the beginning. When I talked about how I started to become more and more like my parents. Who is, who is it that you are gazing upon? Who is it that you are becoming like? Because what Paul is saying is that if you want to fulfill the law in any capacity, not because you're striving for righteousness, but because you're in relationship with Christ, you must remember that you are a son of God. Everything that had been given to Jesus is now given to you. And therefore, the more that you look upon your Father who is in heaven, the more you start to look like Him. And so our relationship to the law, yes, in one sense, it is our guardian in that it teaches us that we are sinners. It is the mirror in which we look and we can see and say, I have to look to one that is not me. But then, once we look at him that is not like me, because the law showed us who we really are, then we actually begin to look like him. And then we see that the law becomes fulfilled. Because all that Christ has done for us, he then does within us through the power of his spirit. And so how are we living do we live looking at our Father? Do we live gazing at Him daily, allowing, as the Spirit says, calls out? Are we praying, Oh Lord, I love you. I want to be like you. I want to look like you. I want to show you off to the world. I want to glorify you and enjoy you forever. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, you have given us the adoption as sons. Lord, everything that was Jesus's is now ours. Everything that he did on the cross was for our sake and for our salvation. And so God, it is my prayer, our prayer, that we would become more like you, not because we are striving for some righteousness by gazing at the law, but that we are becoming more like you because we gaze to the one who is righteous apart from the law. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.